Greetings in, in Jesus' name, and I welcome each and every one of you to this portion of the service here today. It is a blessing to be here. It has been a blessing to be here. Um, I really appreciated the song service and everything that was shared already today. This morning, I would like to uh, finish up, round up, conclude with the book of Ecclesiastes. So I guess if you've been uh, done with Ecclesiastes a while back, I am coming to an end. I have thoroughly enjoyed it myself. And uh, so today I am, I am planning on, if the good Lord leads that way, unless he changes my mind, to conclude with Ecclesiastes. Are we looking at Ecclesiastes 12 today? I'd like to take a brief look back at the book of Ecclesiastes. And... Uh, Chapter 1, it starts, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Vanity, a vapor, meaningless, life, empty, nothing. Kind of like a breath in a cold morning, it's just gone. And, and as I look at it, as the book of Ecclesiastes, um, I'd like us to look at this, and I've shared this before, but it comes down to think about what is the meaning of life, the purpose for living. He uses the phrase throughout the book of Ecclesiastes, under the sun. And under the sun, what he is referring to is in the world that we can see, the material world, the materialistic world around us. Um, it is an essay in apologetics. It defends the life of faith in a generous God by pointing to the grimness of the alternative. So when he's sitting here saying, all is vanity, I want us to understand he's not saying there is no God. He's not saying that there's no purpose to life. What he is saying is, if we're going to live for only what's here and what we can see in the materialistic world, all is vanity. I believe the theme in Ecclesiastes is that everything in life is meaningless without God. Purpose is to show us that we can live a meaningful life only when we live in a right relationship with God. If we choose to not live in a right relationship with God, then indeed all is meaningless. So I jump back to that. I'd just like to run through real quickly here this morning a couple of the things we looked at in chapter 2. We looked at the vanity of pleasure, laughter, alcohol, the vanity of accumulating possessions, wealth, riches, self-indulgence. If I did the math right... Solomon at his peak of money, you can say 25 tons of gold, $1,360,000,000 per year was what he gained. So I think when we say riches, I don't think I'm assuming this, so I guess I'll take this uh, leap of faith. There's no one here that even comes close to that kind of accumulation a year. We're not talking about it in life. We're talking about every year. Ecclesiastes 2.10, I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. So he got everything he wanted in a sense. And he ended up saying it's all vanity. Later on we studied, talked about the sequence of life. God is sovereign in all situations, good and bad. Everything has a time and a season. God has a plan for all people. The contrast of hard work and laziness, the value of contentment, working together, and then we also talked some about worship, and the importance of worship, the importance of coming together to worship. The last time, too, we talked about the use, to use every opportunity to work 
for Christ with no excuses. Which brings us to chapter 12 here today. And I'm going to take the time to read the, the, the whole chapter, chapter 12 of Ecclesiastes. Remember now your Creator in the de- days of your youth, before the difficult days come and the years draw near when you say, I have no pleasure in them. While the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are not darkened and the clouds do not return after the rain. In the day when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men bow low, when the grinders cease because they are few and those that, that look through the windows grow dim. When the doors are shut in the streets and the sound of grinding is low, when one rises up at the sound of a bird and all the daughters of music are brought low and they are afraid of height and of tears in the way. When the almond tree blossoms, when the grasshopper is a burden and desire falls. For man goes to his eternal home, and the mourners go about the streets. Remember your creator before the silver cord is loosed, the golden bowl is broken, or the pitcher shattered at the fountain, or the wheel broken at the well, when the dust will return to the earth as it was, and the spirit will return to God who gave it. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher, all is vanity. And moreover, because the preacher was wise, he still taught the people knowledge. Yes, he, he pondered and sought out and set in order many proverbs. The preacher sought to find acceptable words, and what was written was upright, words of truth. The words of the wise are like gourds, and the words of scholars are like well-driven nails given by one shepherd. And further, my son, be admonished by these. Of making many books there is no end, and much study is worrisome to the flesh." Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is man's all. For God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. And as I looked at uh, Ecclesiastes 12, I uh, was looking. I'm not going to take apart them first eight verses just verse by verse. Um, it's very interesting. I would encourage you. I was looking at this, and and uh, different commentaries suggest they say, uh, well, two times he says, "Remember your Creator in the days of your youth." Then he get into the difficult days, and the grinders run low, and and people would feel like that's as we progress in our life, and some even feel like the grinders are low, and there's few is when our teeth are falling out. So I guess that's the the wearisome of life and and growing older. But anyway, I'm not going to get into what I would like to, to, for us to think about and for a few moments this morning is I believe it is very important while we are still what we may consider young. And you hear the statement, while I'm young, I've got many years to live. I'll live how I want to. We'll decide down the road what I really am going to do. I think it's a shameful way to live. Because as a young person, and I'll leave you decide whether you're young or not, um, Remember your creator. Build that strong foundation. Build that foundation that will test in time when there's four kids, six kids, eight kids, ten kids screaming and you can't sleep. When you're up way past what you want to be up and you're grumpy the next morning because you hardly got any sleep. Knowing that there might be difficult days ahead. And when I say difficult days... What I'm talking about is in the world's view or in materialistic world, there's days when you wonder, you know, are we going to make it through this time? 
God is here for all of them. And I believe that's where if we remember our Creator in our youth, if we remember our Creator as we age, and then in the end He says, remember your Creator before the silver cord is loose or the golden bowl is broken or the pitcher shattered. And I believe that is talking about the end of our life. Remember your Creator. Unfortunately, as silly as this may sound on a Sunday morning, there are times when we don't remember our Creator. And we live for ourselves. We forget to honor, to serve, to live for our Creator. We get distracted by life. We get distracted by ourselves. Back in chapter 3, we talked about redeeming the time. When? Does that apply when we get older? When we've got a huge savings account? When all is well and good? Or does it mean redeeming the time? And I think Solomon's simply saying here, he's saying redeeming the time when you're young, when you're in your middle ages, and as your bowl is broken, when you've gotten to the end of your life. Acknowledge that God is God. I was so blessed with this because... In your youth, you may say, well, I'm just a young person. I got to, you know, we're going to see what the world all holds. Unfortunately, there are consequences that can follow you. And not unfortunately even. God has a, a reap and sowing uh, sequence. But you can make choices in your youth and consequences that God will forgive you. But they will follow you your whole life. I used to teach this when we had boys club several years ago, and I'd look at these guys and they'd say, well, I'm still young. I get it for you old folks that need Jesus, but, you know, I'm good to go. You know, and I said, you'll have consequences out of your choices of sin that God will forgive you, but will follow you. They'll always be there. So let's build a strong foundation so that as we age, we can honestly say we acknowledge our Lord and Savior. Moving on to verses 10 through 12, I'd like to look at verse 10. The preacher sought to find acceptable words, and what was written was upright, words of truth. Then he goes into the whole thing of the parallel. The words of the wise are like gourds. And I'd like us to think about it. And a, gore, a gold, gourd, a gourd, not a gourd, gold, was a rod about eight feet long with a sharp point on it used for guiding oxen. And that's what they used to direct or guide their oxen that was pulling their wagon or whatever they were doing. And I do believe that when, when they're talking here about acceptable words, words of truth, and then he's saying the words of the wise. And I want you to think about something. I believe that today we have to learn from others that have walked before us. We are not going to live long enough to make all the mistakes ourselves. That's a fact of life. Happens in business, happens in our spiritual walk, happens in our daily grind of life. You look at some of the wisest people alive, they learn from somebody else to not make exactly the same mistakes that everybody else makes to figure out what's right, what's wrong. And I believe that's what he's saying. He said, the words of the wise, the truth. And, and the scriptures are so valuable because they can be used like that eight-foot rod to guide us. Sometimes gently a tap on the side can keep the oxen going straight. Sometimes maybe they use that sharp end to give them a little jab. And I don't know about you, but I do believe that sometimes we need scripture to give us a little bit of a sting. 
It may sting a little bit, but I think sometimes we need it. So I want you to think about this. As we've studied Ecclesiastes, as we go about our daily living, as we see what God has for us, and the very meaning and essence of life, to not shy away from opening our hearts to what God has. And to say these words of truth, if we are willing to listen, if we are willing to open our hearts and allow God to work through us, because we're not so, I don't know what the right word is, stubborn, that we're going to make sure, we're going to blaze our own path. We're going to determine our own route. We're going to make all the mistakes himself. I'm going to learn the hard way. Good luck. I believe there's words of wisdom that it's time we, we take to our hearts and follow. I also believe in verse 12, he makes the comment. He says, Of making many books there is no end, and much study is wearisome to the flesh. I believe what he's trying to say here is be careful. The Bible has, the Scriptures have what we need. God has ordained the Scriptures, inspired the Scriptures for our assistance. He is the answer. God's Word is the answer. You can find a book that agrees with you if you want to get rid of some of the Scripture. Guarantee it. There's somebody out there. I don't even think it's hard anymore. You can find a person that will write a book on a, on a subject that's one side or the other if that makes you feel good. But I encourage you to go back to God's Word. To go back to the words of truth that are given by one shepherd in verse 11 there. Well-driven nails to give us a stronghold to walk this road of life as we go forward. And not look around when the Scripture doesn't agree with what I believe or what I want to believe. I encourage that we should change. Not look around and try to find something that would make us feel better about it. When I started studying Ecclesiastes... So let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. This whole journey of life. The whole time this writer is sitting on the back of his porch, petting this stuff down, going, wow, one million dollar, billion dollars a, day, a year, and it's all vanity. Now I'm old, I'm older, I can't even get out and do what I used to do. You name the matter. So he says, you know what? The conclusion of the whole matter is to fear God and keep his commandments, for this is man's all. For God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. Hmm. I think it's very, very clear here in the last two verses of Ecclesiastes, the meaning of life. He clearly states in verse 14 that everyone will stand before God as in judgment. And we'll have to answer the question on whom did we serve. You're not going to answer for your grandpa, for your kids, your best friend. There's going to be no excuses. I believe Judgment Day, you're going to answer to a just and a loving and a holy God for you. You're not going to answer for someone else. So I want to put that in person. But I, what I'd really like us to look at in the few moments here left this morning 
is fear God and keep his commandments, for this is man's all. How do we fear God? What does that really mean to fear God? If I understand it right, the Hebrew word here used is yari. To stand in awe of, to reverence, to honor, to respect, to fear, to be afraid. Now when I say a fear, I, I don't think we stand around just being absolutely terrified of our God. Because God says he's a God of love. But I want to tell you something. Today, when we say God is a God of love, we kind of think of this big teddy bear. Oh, we're going to feel good about this. God's going to give us this. And if God don't give us that, then poor us. But I don't think today, I really don't believe when they say fear God and they say reverence God and they say respect God and stand in awe of God, that we should view God as a big teddy bear. Because I'm going to tell you something. Love does not mean everything is just all nice. True, honest love. And you guys know this as parents. Anyone who's raised children. So is it nicer for you to teach them when you tell them, stop, do not touch that stove, that you have taught them the boundaries because you love them? It may have even required some discipline sometimes. Now, you may all have perfect homes. Ours is not. I'll be open and honest with you. There was a, we needed discipline at times. But I'll tell you what, it's a whole lot more loving to have that discipline, that they have that respect and that awe that you say, stop, do not go any farther than it is for your child to plunge off the edge of a cliff and wonder what's going to happen at the other end. Because he wasn't going to listen. And I loved him so much, I never want to restrict him. So I'm just going to let him do whatever he wants to do. Even if he has two burned hands off the stove because he just implanted them on there. Well, I wanted him to learn his own way. You know, I've I'd hate to have him make him listen to me. I mean, I'm just another human being that's a sinner in need of a Savior. That's true. I believe we love our children enough that we expect them to listen for their own benefit. And I think the same exact thing applies to God. I think unfortunately today, a lot of the world wants God to be our big buddy, our dude. He's along for the ride, protect us when we get in trouble, call up on him when we need him, and uh, a good bailout plan when we need something to help out. I don't think that's fearing God. I believe, I believe as a general society, a lot of times people have really messed up what fearing and reverence is God. See, God is, is righteous. He's holy. He's a God of God and the King of Kings. He, he hates sin. Hates sin. He doesn't tolerate it. He hates it. Very plain in Scripture. I'm grateful for Jesus Christ, our my mediator, who says he sits at the right hand of God on my behalf. You know, I think if, if Christ wasn't there, we'd have more people, uh, how do you say, the Old Testament, when the earth opened up and just swallowed them. He got done with them. But that doesn't mean God's changed. And why I say that, I want us to think about it a little bit this morning. Because I believe that out of reverence to the God of God and the King of Kings, that very attitude of reverence, the very fact that we love Him and we respect Him and we respect His power and His greatness, we respect His holiness, should lead us to a life of fearing God out of reverence. 
a life of understanding, not making excuses when it doesn't fit our schedule. You see, we like to make excuses, and that's why we want God to be a teddy bear. We want God to be our buddy. We want him to be our right-hand bailout plan. Because that way we can live however we want to live. We can do whatever we want to do. When we don't like what Scripture says and what really is pricking us when that, that sharp point is poking us pretty hard, we just get rid of that Scripture. You see, because God is a God of love, He wouldn't send anybody to hell. So, we're all good. But I think that's a false doctrine that is being taught to make people feel good. I say all that and I want to be careful because God is a God of love. He loves us. He loves us so much that He sent His Savior, His Son, here to die for you and me even though we didn't deserve it a lick. It's proven in all of Scripture. There's so many Scriptures on fearing God. If I started to slightly put a dent in that, we'd all have burned crisp food till I got even closely done. I was so blessed. I was digging into so the fear of God. And there's different and there are different forms of uh, the Hebrew word that gets translated into fear. But it was really interesting. This form of reverence, Yare, is is there was I think uh, 500 and some scriptures on this one and 500 and some on another slightly different attribute of, of the fear of God. But the couple of them that align, Psalms 33, 8, let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. Psalms 34, 9, oh, fear the Lord, ye his saints, for there is no want to them that fear him. Hebrews 12, 28 and 29. Since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be destroyed, let us be thankful and please God by worshiping him with holy fear and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. Proverbs 14, 26 and 27. Those who fear the Lord are secure. He will be a place of refuge for their children. Fear of the Lord is a life-giving fountain. It offers escape from the snares of the devil. I believe sometimes instead of bringing that honor and that glory and that praise because we respect this God, because we love this God, and He loves us. Don't get me wrong. Like I said, I'm not here to belittle the fact, but God is a God of holiness. And instead of us uh, bringing that honor and praise and glory to Him, we like to bring the attention to ourselves, or we like to bring it to someone else. I believe if we fear God, we will respect His authority. When the fear of God is right in our heart, and we understand in our little tiny minds, and I don't even, I'll be honest, I don't even comprehend a tiny bit of the fear of God some days, because God is so great. But when we start to want to understand that and live our life according to that, I believe it is what keeps our heart right with God. We can talk about, and he goes on and says, fear God and keep his commandments. But I'm here to tell you to say, I don't think if we have God in the right perspective, and the right awe, and the right respect of our, Lord, of our God, our very Creator, then you're going to have a really, really hard time keeping His commandments. A really, really difficult time. 
<coughs> Excuse me. Sometimes we want to keep his commandments. And we want what he wants. But we don't want to fear our God. We don't want that holy respect and honor. Where we're serving him because we love him. We're willing to do what he said in his scripture because he told us to. And because we fear the God that will be standing there on judgment day. The fear of the Lord is an awareness that you are in the presence of a holy, just, almighty God. To fear God is to live in harmony with his righteous commandments. Do we respect this God? Or we live in our life expecting God to be somebody I'm going to ask you a couple questions. Is it our way or is it God's way? When it really comes down to it. What is motivating you to live? Fear God is that reverence and awe and respect of a holy God that grows out of our faith in a holy God. That reverence and respect is displayed in obedience. And I'm going to tell you, that's the hard part. I think if we fear God, then we will obey God. Obedience is our, our way of showing that we do fear our Lord and Savior. I encourage you to study God and His holiness. Yes, we know that God is a God of love, of grace, and of mercy. Yet God is a God of justice. A God of holiness, a God that hates sin. Take the time to study that. And, and actually ask God to, to open your heart, to understand in a better way what the fear of God means. So we can understand in the right sense. Because so I do believe that in a lot of times, we don't have a right fear of our God. Some people tremble. I don't think we have to be afraid and trembling. But I think we should tremble in awe of our God and His righteousness. May God bless you.